0: Welcome to this special midweek edition of the Southcrest Live podcast featuring the teaching of Dr. David Wilson. If this is your first time to listen, be sure to connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. And thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy this message from our Wednesday night series. I want to uh, pick up, we were in Ephesians 4 last week and we, I covered more than the last three verses of chapter four, but I want to go back and expand it a little bit. I almost skipped this and went on to chapter five, but I, I feel like it's such an important topic that I want to share with you, and I've entitled it one of life's most difficult choices. And, and the reason I say that is because it is a choice. A lot of people think it's a feeling, but it's a choice, a choice. Ephesians 4.30 says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. I want us to pray. Would you join me as we pray? Lord, thank you for the good reports that we've heard from Brian and Amy and Coffee Bean, and we just pray that you would continue to bless their ministries. We even ask you now that you allow Coffee Bean to get back to her field of service at at the perfect time and safely, uh, that you'll show how that can happen. Um, I'm gonna pray for for anyone tonight, Lord, who may be uh, struggling with a grudge or unforgiveness or bitterness. We pray, God, that you will help release them of that and help them to see that it robs robs them of the joy. So we ask you to, to speak to our hearts now and remind us, even though a lot of us know it, remind us again that we have to keep working at this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It was an old man and an old woman that were married for years even though they hated each other. And when they had a confrontation, the neighbors could hear them screaming and yelling and sometimes they could be heard very deep into the night. There was this constant statement heard by the neighbors from that woman that they were all afraid of and she kept saying, when I die, I'm gonna dig my way up out of the grave to come back and haunt you for the rest of your life. And they believed, the neighbors believed, how rumors get started that she practiced black magic and was responsible for all the missing dogs and cats and all the strange sounds in the neighborhood. You know how you've got some people like that. She was feared, and she actually she enjoyed that fear. She enjoyed the fact that most people were afraid of her. Well, she died abruptly under strange circumstances, and the funeral had a closed casket. And after the burial, her husband went straight to the local party house and began to party like there was no tomorrow. Well, the celebration of his actions were becoming a little extreme, and his neighbors approached him in a group and said, listen, aren't you afraid? Aren't you a little concerned, a little worried that this wife of yours who practiced black magic and stated when she died, she would dig her way up out of the grave to come back and haunt you for the rest of your life? He said, let her dig. I buried her upside down. (laughs) You won't remember anything else tonight. (sighs) What's one of the worst sins Christians commit? Don't don't start naming them. But, you know, a lot of times we think, well, murder and adultery and whatever. But, you know, there's a hidden hidden sin. It's not really as hidden as most people think. But it would be the sin of bitterness and unforgiveness. Now, I know what I'm talking about because I've been there. You were looking at a a professional at one time, not now, I'm not a professional, but I could have been a professional grudge holder, holding a grudge, remembering the wrongs that have been done. I've had a lot of wrongs done at times. It's cost me a lot of money. And I want to tell you what I'm going to share with you tonight, I know from personal experience and that, that it robs you of the joy of the Lord. Bitterness is an attitude that refuses to forgive offenses. And forgiveness is an attitude that honestly acknowledges what's happened, but then dismisses it on the basis of God's forgiveness for us. You've been forgiven, and God tells you and me to forgive other people. He didn't say if you feel like it. He tells us to forgive other people. And the Bible tells us to love our neighbors and also to love our enemies because generally they're the same people. If you think about it, are they going to be at least sometime in their life? So I want to share, I've got a couple of other scriptures. I'm, I'm going to stay back here on Ephesians, but tonight I've been going verse by verse, and I'll get back to that um, next week in, in chapter 5. But I want to talk about forgiveness. Because it mentions it right here with bitterness and wrath and anger. I mean, you you can see. You can see it in verses 31. And in verse 30, it says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. I I want to read one verse to you. Looking carefully, pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by this many become defiled. You see, bitterness is a root. It's one thing to get mad. It's one thing to be offended. It's another thing to become bitter because unforgiveness turns into that and it becomes a root. I read of two sisters who had a squabble and they'd been feuding for 30 years. One of them's name was Matilda and on her 70th birthday, her sister Alice felt a little pang of remorse but got over it and then later when she heard that Matilda was ill, she thought I better go see my sister. And so she walked in and from her sick bed Matilda looked at Alice her sister sternly and said, "The doctors say I'm seriously ill, Alice. If I pass away, I want you to know you're forgiven. But if I pull through, things are still the same." <laughs> now there's you an example. You just can't get over it. Well, several things happen to you when you hold a grudge or you're filled with, filled with bitterness. First of all, you, love the, you lose the joy of Christian fellowship. You're not much fun to be around. Go ahead and put the first one up there. We're behind. Anybody working an the outline? There you go. Man's dilemma. Let's talk about man's dilemma. And the, I skipped that. It was my fault. You lose the joy of Christian fellowship. You don't have to look far to find somebody who's bitter or unforgiving. It's gonna leak out. It just happens. They, they, it, they just don't enjoy being around people. They've got an anger issue. They've got something eating on them two little brothers, Harry and James, had finished supper and they were playing until bedtime and somehow Harry hit James with a stick and tears and bitter words followed and charges and accusations were being thrown around and mom instructed James, she said, James, now before you go to bed, you're going to have to forgive your brother. James said, okay, I'll forgive him tonight, but if I don't die in the night, he better look out in the morning. <laughs> we can relate to that, can't we? Another thing you do is you break the harmony in your home. When you're bitter, it affects your home. You take it out on other people. You take it out on the people you love, your wife, your children. Your temper flares at the drop of a hat. Don Nut who lived in Texas, said he and his wife have been married 50 years, and he says that the secret is they never went to bed without settling any differences between them. But then Don conceded that there had been times when he went 10 days without sleep. <laughs> the fact is, you're going to have spats, you're going to get mad, but, but if you don't forgive, you're not going to have any harmony in your home. During World War II, the United States submarine Tang... T-A-N-G, surfaced under the cover of darkness to fire upon a large Japanese convoy off the coast of China. And since the previous air raids had left the American vessel with only eight torpedoes, the accuracy of every shot was important. And the first seven missiles were right on target, but when they fired the eighth one, it suddenly deviated and headed right back toward their own ship. And before anything could be done, in a matter of seconds, the submarine was hit and sunk, received a direct hit, sank almost instantly. In the same way, the hostilities we have turn right around and hurt us. They come back and injure you. The third thing, and and I can can go back to the Ephesians passage and it'll hinder the power in your church. We are dependent upon the Holy Spirit. God owns this church. This church belongs to Jesus. The kingdom belongs to Jesus. And we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. And I read that, uh, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The the word grieve, and I mentioned this last week, is the strongest word for weeping. It's the same word used when a parent lost a child. That kind of grief. Strong, strong word. And Christians, when they hurt other Christians and when there's grudges, you grieve the Holy Spirit. You know, you get enough people in a congregation that are mad or mad at each other. The Lord doesn't work in that. I've been in churches like that. South Christ is of the size now that it doesn't mean that you can't grieve the Holy Spirit, but but I've, my first church was in a little town, a little community of 786 people. They were all kin to one another. <laughs> Need I say any more? <laughs> because... If, if they were mad before they got there, they were already mad at church. And I'm telling you, there were times, it was like, the Lord said, I can't work in that group. They've got everybody in there is mad at each other. And unforgiveness will do that. I've seen it kill a church. You corner a rattlesnake, sometimes it can become so frenzied, it'll strike and bite itself. I don't want to find that out. I've read that. But in the same way, when a person harbors hatred and resentment, they're hurt by the poison of their own malice. They think they're hurting someone else. George Martin tells the true story. He, He said, a fellow who once wrote a nasty letter to his father... And since we, he said, since we worked in the same office, I advised him not to send it because it was written in a fit of anger and temper. But he sealed it and asked me to put it in the mail. But instead, I simply slipped it into my pocket and kept it till the next day. The following morning, he arrived at the office and he said, George, I wish I'd never sent that note to my dad. I know it's going to hurt him deeply and I know it will break his heart when he reads it. I'd give $50 to get it back. And George pulled the envelope from his pocket and handed it to him. And he, and he said he was so overjoyed that he really did want to pay me, but he wouldn't let him do it. But you see, anger can kill what God's doing in a church, it can hinder the power in your church. So, when it comes to forgiveness, who's the example? Let me read to you out of Matthew 18. Verse 21, Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him up to seven times? And Jesus said, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle accounts, one was brought to him, he owed him 10,000 talents, about 50, 60 million dollars. But as he was not able to pay his master, commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made, the servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I'll pay you all. And then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him and forgave him the debt. Forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 denarii, about 18 dollars. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him saying, have patience with me and I'll pay you all. But he would not and went out and threw him into prison until he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. And his master, after he called him in, said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you begged me. <clears throat> should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I have had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers, the tormentors, until he should pay all that was due him. So my heavenly father also will do to you if you don't from your heart forgive your brother his trespasses. Peter came to Jesus. And kind of probably in a sarcastic way, he said, Lord, how many times have I got to forgive somebody? Up to seven times the number of completion. And Jesus said, no. And Peter probably went, and then he said, 70 times seven. Does he mean you, you count 490 times? No. He's just saying you need to forgive him. And then he gave that example. And I kind of mentioned it as I was reading a king, a servant. Oh, I don't know how in the world a a servant could amass a $50 million debt. I don't know. But he came, and it was time to pay, and he couldn't pay, and the king had compassion on him. Of course, we know who the king represents, God. That same guy, after he'd been forgiven 50 to 60 million dollars, he goes out and finds a guy that owes him less than $20. He says, you need to pay me my $20. Well, I don't have it today. Well, fine, you're gonna go to jail till you get it paid. Well, suppose we were able to know all of our sin. Every evil thought you've ever had Every sin you've ever committed, every word, every action, every omission, the things we were supposed to do and didn't do. Suppose you were able to see that all at once. It would be enormous, wouldn't it? And God said, I forgive you. I separated from the east as far as the east is from the west. Buried in the deepest ocean. I forgive you. And yet, we have somebody that has hurt us, and I'm not making light of the offense, as you'll see in just a moment, but compared to all that we've done to God, you see the comparison? That's what Jesus was making here. Ephesians says, just as God in Christ forgave you or has forgiven you. i want gonna call your attention to a couple of things. First of all, God's forgiveness is not because of our worthiness you know a lot of times we say you're not worthy of my forgiveness (laughs) what if god said that well none of us were worthy of his forgiveness let me ask you this if you ask the average person what kind of person's going to heaven you ask the average person not you y'all are smarter but you ask the average person what, what person's going to heaven and they will say something like those who go to church or those who read their Bibles or those who love their neighbors or those who believe in God. In other words, God forgives good people. You understand what I'm saying? But when, while that seems logical, it's con- contrary to what God's word said. Good people don't need forgiveness. Sinful people do. Bad people need forgiveness. Jesus spent much of his ministry illustrating that. He was criticized by running around with all of those sinners, those self-righteous Pharisees and those tax gatherers and those sinners and those, and and they and they they would look down at Jesus and look, look, he's gonna contaminate himself. He needs to be with the good people. And so we sort of get that idea that, you know, only a good person deserves forgiveness. Well, problem with that is Psalm 14:3 and Romans 3:10 said there are none righteous. No not one. Not one. And so, what the Bible is saying is that God forgave us when we least deserved it while we were yet sinners. Colossians 1.21. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you to in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. We're not... Forgiven because we're good. We're good because we're forgiven. And you know what? God's forgiveness is not because of our works. You didn't earn any of it. <laughs> Nothing I do or don't do can ever earn God's forgiveness. Romans 5.1 says that we are justified by faith. Let me read it to you. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse six, for when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Verse eight, but God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Those of you who are still working and those of you who are now retired and when you were working, when you got your paycheck after you'd worked for the, however many weeks it is before you get paid, when you got paid, did you go into your employer and say, thank you for such a wonderful gift? No, you didn't do that. Because you earned it. You earned. You had an agreement. You were going to work for so much an hour or whatever the salary was, and you earned it. It wasn't a gift, but Paul is saying that you and I cannot earn any forgiveness. Only God can give it to us. We didn't earn it. We sometimes think, well, when this person pays me back or they make it right, You and I couldn't make it right with God, could we? Just as God in Christ has forgiven us, that means we are to forgive those who do not deserve to be forgiven. And secondly, we're not to require people to earn our forgiveness. When you forgive a person, that doesn't mean you're instantly back in the right relationship. Now, that relationship has some dynamic to it, but the forgiveness part of it, we're supposed to go ahead and give. Well, let's look at God's directive now, back to Ephesians. I'm gonna use Joseph as an example. In Genesis 50, verse 20, It says, Joseph is talking to, remember his brother sold him into slavery and he became the second in command in Egypt over many years and and then there was a famine and Joseph's brothers wind up coming back before him. Y'all do know what I'm talking about, right? If you don't, go to Genesis 50 and read this. It'd make a great movie. But they didn't recognize him. And there was some interaction there in, the last, in those last chapters of Genesis. But, but finally, when they recognize him, and I'm sure they all turned as white as a ghost, Genesis 50, verse 20, Joseph said to them, but as for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. So with that in mind, how does God want us to handle this? Well, if you use Joseph as an example, first of all, there's recognition. I'm not asking you to overlook what happened to you. You can't. Now, some people might try to suppress it and try to deny it. They they sometimes get confused thinking forgiveness is total denial or dismissal. And one of the reasons they go into denial is because sometimes the experience is too painful to acknowledge, they block it out. Sometimes they they actually think it was their fault. Well, I'm just not worthy or whatever. And so the fact is, God didn't say deny it. He didn't say you're supposed to dismiss it. He's saying, recognize it. Joseph looked at his brothers and said, you guys meant to harm me. You meant it. He, He recognized it, he acknowledged it. And Joseph was probably tempted to feel. He feel that, well, he didn't minimize the sin that they'd committed against him. You meant it for evil. The second thing is to is realization. Now you have to change the, the perspective and say, "How does God look at this? Is God trying to accomplish something in my life?" Now listen to me. if you believe in the sovereignty of God, I'm not saying God caused all of it. God knows what's going on. We're the ones that messed up the world. We're the ones that brought sin in the world. We're the ones that depravity of man and all of that. And so I'm not saying that God lets somebody harm you or, or caused somebody to harm you. He does not even indirectly cause people to sin. But can you look from God's perspective to say, God, through all of this, is there anything... You want me to learn? Is there anything you want to teach me? Is there anything that you want to strengthen me in? You see, we define good. We know Romans eight twenty eight. For God, what does He say? I just drew a blank. For, 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 he works all things together. He didn't say everything was good. He works all things together for the good. But we determine good as being instant. Oh, I want it right now. If it's not good now, it must be bad. But in the long run, God may be working something in your heart that you never knew. Look what all Joseph went through in order to save the people. You have no idea if God's going to put you there one day. All you can know is that, man, right now I've been through it. But see, Romans 8.29 says, for whom he foreknew, he predestined to become conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. God is able to take the worst offenses committed against us and use them for his glory somehow. God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result. To preserve many people alive, Joseph said. Sometimes we don't get to see the eternal glimpse. The third thing is repentance. You can't write a check when you have no money in your account. (laughs) Well, you're not supposed to, there are people that do. (laughs) But you can't forgive someone if you haven't been forgiven. How do you receive God's forgiveness? First, you, you identify the sin that you've committed against your family, against friends, against Christians, against God. Secondly, you confess those sins to God. And finally, you receive his forgiveness because of Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection. And if you're a believer, 1 John 1, 9 comes into play. I confess my sin to you. You've got to admit it. Believe it or not, unforgiveness is a sin. And so you need forgiveness before you can give it. And then the last thing I'm going to share with you to me is, is the most, well, it's all important, but it's the word release. The word forgiveness means to release, to lift up and bear away. Um. To put on a scapegoat. When the high priest came out of the Holy of Holies, after he'd made atonement for the sins of the people back in the Old Testament times, he would come out and lay his hands on one of the, the, the sheep, the goats, and they would lead this goat out, indicating that the sins of the people had been carried away, symbolically. We get our term scapegoat from that. To to forgive somebody means to release them. Now, I haven't covered this passage in Colossians yet on Sunday morning, but I will. And so I'm not going to tell you what day or you'll skip. (laughs) But this is what I... Listen to Colossians 2, 13 and 14. And you, being dead in your trespasses and and the uncircumcision of your flesh... He has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When you committed a crime or you owed people money, you could be put into prison. On the door of the prison would be the handwriting of requirements or the handwriting of ordinances against you. It would state the payment. It would state the time. Somebody could come by and they could see that on the door. And if they paid, if it was a monetary thing that you owed, they could buy you out. Or they could pay it and you would be let out. If it was a time served, whatever. But whenever the time served or the penalty was paid, they would open the door. They would take that handwriting of ordinances against you. And they would write across it, it is finished. Literally. Literally. That sound familiar? And they would give you the receipt stating that you could never be charged with that again. This is what I do when I forgive someone. And I go back to that Matthew 18 passage where Peter said, Lord, how many times have I got to forgive somebody? Seven times? No. When you give somebody the receipt, that means that you don't you don't bring that up anymore, it's paid. When you give somebody the receipt, you have to pay it, You've, you, it costs you something. And to forgive somebody costs you something. It costs God, his son Jesus, Jesus died, and he paid the price of our sin. And the Holy Spirit now is given to us as the guarantee of our salvation. And, but, but forgiveness, it, it isn't conditional. You don't forgive and they say, I take it back. So when I see a person that maybe that's offended me and I have forgiven them in my mind, I've given them the receipt. I put across it, it is finished. I've given them the receipt. Listen, I had a truck stolen from me I loaned it to a man. He stole it. I couldn't get it back because I'd loaned it to him. It cost me a pickup for giving that that guy. I loaned another guy a lot of money on my credit cards. This was back when I was ignorant. (laughs) I am now more mature. I remember how bitter I got until one day I called him. He was in another town. It's after I moved to Lubbock. He was in Tyler. And he's, he's gone now. He's with the Lord now. He's a Christian. And I said, I want you to know something. If you could send any money along the way, which he hadn't at that time, that'll be fine. But I want you to know when I get this debt paid, you're forgiven. And I'm telling you, the moment I did that, the peace came back in my heart. It cost me twenty-five thousand dollars. Shows you how stupid I was. <laughs> I had to do the same with my truck. Lord, that that truck belonged to you. It wasn't mine. But I'm telling you, it's not worth hanging on to because the joy and the and the frustration and the anger and It's just not worth it. A prominent man was asked by a reporter if he remembered an incident in which a friend had hurt him deeply. And here's how he answered it. I specifically remember forgetting it. And God has forgiven your sins and according to Micah 7, 19, he has buried them in the deepest ocean. And somewhere they forgot to put up that he put a sign up that said, No fishing. He's not gonna bring it back up. And so it's a choice, it's a command. It's a choice, not a feeling. You don't this isn't a feeling. You can't feel your way into this one. You have to say, Lord, I'm going to be obedient to you. And right now, I'm gonna ride across it. It is finished and I'm giving them the receipt whether they ask for it or not. Sometimes they don't ever ask for it. But life is too short for you to not forgive somebody and to hang on to that bitterness for so long that it's it's sort of like bitterness is like dr- you're drinking poison hoping they will die. Seriously. It'll eat you up. It will. Take it from one who knows. Trust me, I know. It's just not worth it. And aren't you glad God forgave you? Amen. Amen. Me too. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Help us to be forgiving people. Help us, God. We, it's hard. It's so hard. It's not the natural thing to do because we naturally just want to hold on to everything. But, God, help us to be like you. To be Christ-like, and that means to forgive. That doesn't mean to let people run over us, but it doesn't mean we hold grudges and we just keep carrying this deep-seated anger and bitterness the rest of our life. So I pray that people will leave their receipts tonight in the chairs as they leave. And we'll just pick them up and throw them away. I pray you'll bring their peace back into their life. Thank you for these wonderful people. Thank you for Brian and Amy. We ask your blessings on their ministry. Thank you for Coffee Bean, for Debbie. We pray that you'll bless her ministry. Pray for Zach and Keith and all these others that are coming in this weekend that you'll give them safety and let it just be a banner weekend here at Southcrest in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me tell you one last thing. Gary gave me a a printout. You know, we do a lot of things locally helping other churches, helping other folks with ministry opportunities, even just various ways, helping repair buildings, whatever, for smaller, smaller congregations. And you know, this last year, besides the missions, on the foreign missions and the North America Mission Board and all that, as you know, we've given over $100,000 just locally helping churches in this area. Only God can do that. And thank you for being faithful to do that. And that's why God keeps keeps shoveling it in and we keep shoveling it out and he's got a bigger shovel. It just happens that way. Thank y'all. God bless you for being here. Thanks for listening to this installment of the Southcrest Wednesday Night Series featuring Senior Pastor David Wilson. Remember, you can also live stream our Sunday and Wednesday services. Go to southcrestlive.tv for more details or to southcrest.org to learn more about Southcrest Baptist Church.